five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Hello, I'm welcome. You're listening to Five in the Eye on Cover Radio with me, Michael Hadura, and this is episode zero three two nine of Colourful's weekly news review show. And joining Michael by Zoom this week is Phil Woodford, revealing that our top story is going to be the crisis over carers. Increasingly, the money the state provides for people to buy in care doesn't cover the costs. And even if the cash is there, it's often impossible to find staff available to work. Five in the eye. The story number two is the deal signed by our security services, MI5, MI6 and GCHQ, to store their top secret info in the cloud. Okay, to see at Amazon. What's story number three this week? Well, if you're ever lost up a mountain and someone was calling you, wouldn't you gratefully answer? Well, apparently not if you didn't recognize the number. That was the extraordinary situation encountered by authorities in Colorado as they tried to rescue a hiker. Well, for story number four this week, we ask whether BBC presenter Nick Robinson was within his rights to tell the Prime Minister to stop talking. In an interview, the culture secretary is briefing that the decision could have cost the bead a lot of money. Mm. And finally this week, to wrap up the show, we don't like to be morbid, but do you have plans for your final send-off? Well, Brenda Morris of Worcestershire decided recently she would be escorted to the crematorium by Darth Vader and stormtroopers from Star Wars. May the force be with you. And that's this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. Okay, we're going to kick off this week with um, a story about uh, carers. And it comes from the Guardian newspaper, where they were talking about the the fact that um, there are about uh, 70,000 care users um, who are employing around 100,000 live-in carers and personal assistants, sometimes referred to as PAs. Um, and they do this through public funds. And this is something that I, I know about because Mrs. W has worked in this particular area in the past. You get something called a direct payment. So rather than being told, you know, here's your care package, here's what care is available to you, you get a pot of money that you're allowed to spend uh, on things like to, to help you with things like personal care and transport and cleaning. So in, in principle, this is a very this is a very good idea. It puts power into the hands of ordinary people. Um, but the problem is uh, there is a major shortage of supply of people who are going to do this kind of work. So uh, we're talking about uh, EU citizens um, who have um, may maybe not applied for settled status as they should, or EU citizens who've gone back to their home countries and they're no longer available to work, which makes it much harder to find the people to do the job. Um, there's another issue that comes up, though, which is that uh, the amount of money that you know people can afford to pay with these direct payments. So um, th- this article quotes a lady who lives in Leicestershire. She, with the money she has, she can afford to pay £9.50 an hour up to 11pm, then minimum wage uh, for an overnight sleep-in shift. It sort of sounds like you should be able to attract people, but she says in the area... Um, that she works, dog walkers get £15 an hour, um, which puts everything into perspective, doesn't it, Michael, about how we value people who do this kind of work? Who we care for. That, 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 that's a stunning statistic. 
you know, 15 quid to walk a dog, 15 quid an hour to walk a dog, 10, 15, 10, 9 pounds 50 an hour to care for uh, uh, someone who needs some love, a bit of love and attention. It's sad, it's a sign of the times, you know, the, 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 care, the, the care sector has been underfunded for, for almost decades now. It's fallen behind. And I think you've almost got the perfect storm of Brexit where they lost a number of foreign workers uh, who, who said, I'm not coming back, it's not worth it. And then you had the, the COVID, which and a number of people left because of the, the, the pressure that they were under, the undue pressure, the, the, the physical pressure in terms of the work they had to do as fewer people were, in the, were, were working in care homes. And there was also an emotional pressure because I had a number of them on the radio, a number of these care home managers just almost in tears at, at the, the pressure they were under as people were literally dying around them and their inability to, to make a difference and almost the lack of support. So you've got this, at the heart, you have this money, but also there's an emotional thing that people are just physically worn out. They can't do it anymore. Mm. So that figure of 10%, the 10% in the shortage now, and, and that's leading to almost 20% of care home beds going unfulfilled because they can't get the people to fill them. You know, on the one hand, you can understand it. And, and I would expect that the, the, the government, Rishi, Rishi Suki, a, a very popular or a popularist chancellor, would sense that this is an important issue. And in, in the budget, you would expect this to be something there. And Phil, there was nothing, or rather next to nothing. You know? yeah, I mean, it, se- it seems to next me that to a, lot of, a, a lot of the issues thrown up at least in part by Brexit, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're really failing to address in any adequate way. Michael, you still look like you've got something to say. No, no, no. I've, no, interu- just, I've interrupted no, 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 you no, somehow. I don't want to make the point. The point was they spend more time talking about beer, champagne, sparkling wine mm. than they did about they did about care. And yep. yet to find the care, you have to really dig deep. And I, apparently they've increased the precepts to councils to 2%. They've increased to 2%. That means it's a tax increase for us. It's not the council to, what I used to call them rates. It's not called rates. It's called the council mm. tax. And from that, the portion of spend on care goes up. But it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a measly amount. Mm. It's a measly amount. And they're not making a big play of it at all. And, and I would argue, Phil, if they were serious about it, this is, this is something that's affecting many of us, yourself included. My my mum was involved in it. So we've all got, so so many of us have got. Yeah, I mean, I I have recent personal experience of this because my father is elderly. He's got Parkinson's disease quite badly. And um, he had an operation on a hernia. When he came out of hospital, he needed looking after. And, um, you know, my mum wasn't able to provide him with the kind of care he needed. But I, I would describe the kind of system of care as really precarious. Um, and what I mean by that is at that stage, you get you do get a sort of package of support from the local authority. 
Um, but different people might be coming in. If you're lucky, you get to know one of them and they come more regularly. Um, but often they're arriving, they've got very limited time because mm-hmm. they've got to get onto the next appointment. Uh, they're, they're very low paid. They're traveling on public transport. This is a, you know, a, a huge admiration I have for the people doing this work. Mm-hmm. But it's a kind of system that really is pretty, pretty broken. And you know, I, I don't think we can get away from the fact that, you know, money does lie at the heart of this because you've got to be um, paying people enough that they feel kind of comfortable being settled in the work that they're not having to worry so much about racing from one job to another because maybe they're you know they're being paid enough to to take on fewer assignments in a day and so on and then the quality of care starts going up as well doesn't it exactly and look at the, the, the quality care commission said there's a tsunami a tsunami of people being affected by these uh, the, 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 the the care in the country. They're not getting the care that they need. And the the, the, the CQC, the, the, the Quality Commission, is usually quite reserved. It has to be. You know, it has to, because it wants to work with the government. But it's, it's really, it's, it's saying, look, there is a real problem here. And to your point, Phil, you know, this is, be, this is, this is a broken system. And I think, of course, money can fix it. But also, there's got to be a bit of a love there, a love of compassion, a bit of understanding. And I saw that when I was when, when my mum was in the care home, and I saw that in in, in, in bucket loads, the, the care and compassion, the emotion, the connection that, that the staff had. What they weren't many of them were there just for the money. But I guess if you if they get so low in terms of the pressures on them, and the money gets so bad, people reach that breaking point. So the government needs to come back. And then say, look, how can we fix this system? Um, just, ways, I mean, sorry, yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, just just before we leave this, the the subject, obviously, pressure generally on people's cost of living. We've got inflation going up. We've got the worries about the price of petrol. We've got the worries about fuel bills with with gas. Um, I mean, Rishi Sunak. There were a few sops, weren't there, in the budget towards kind of giving some money back. You, you sense that every penny that's handed out is taken away somewhere else and that it's all a bit smoke and mirrors, really. Um, people are facing a pretty rough time. And when we get to next April, when new national insurance um, top-ups kick in and and so on, it's going to become pretty dicey for people, isn't it? Definitely, the, 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 the working population, the, 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 the lower paid, are in for quite a challenging time. Challenging time, and that was that was for me. It's a time for some government initiatives, some some government ideas were moving forward. And yes, you're going to see. He was arguing in his speech that we shouldn't always look to the government, but this is one here. The government has has played footy with for 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 almost decades now. This relationship between social care and the national health service between the NHS and your local council, how they work with each other. How they, they need to look at that, look at that seriously. You know, and I think what they're doing here, they're just... Story number three... Or even, or even story number two, Michael. <laughs> I, love, I love to be ahead of myself. Story number two, story number two, was one that, that amazed me, that the government, GCHQ... Our secret services, our our domestic and foreign services are going to use Amazon web services to store their data. 
Now, Amazon Web Services are one of the world's leading suppliers and suppliers of, of, of hosted services. No question, a world leader. But they're American. It just seemed bizarre that we, one of the leading technology companies on, countries on the planet, has to rely on America to host our software, to host our, our databases. Now, you could argue, well, they're going to be encrypted, so they can't see them. But that's not the point. That's not the point. Many of the, the applications we use to interrogate this software, these artificial intelligence software that we use to interrogate it, many of that comes, it also comes from America. And I just feel we've moved on now. And, and, and I've, got to, I've got to use the T word here, Phil. Trump has made the difference. America cannot be trusted anymore. Yeah, it's, it's difficult, not, isn't it? I mean, it's not know, a loyal it, ally. It's it, not. If we... I mean, there's a couple of levels of this to me. I mean, the first one is some people might look at this story and think, right, confidential files about security being in the cloud. I mean, full stop, it sounds odd, doesn't it? That no, no, it's, I, out there in, it's out there in the no, ether. No, but um, for, for, I can handle that. It's encrypted, so it's all right. That, that, in principle, because you've, you've got to crack it. And that, that, they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. I mean, it, it does, it, but it does rely on all uh, you know, ge- generally on the internet infrastructure being stable and all the rest of it. And we know that there are plenty of um, rogue actors, maybe states around the world that might try to, you know, undermine the, the the security or the stability of the platforms that we use. And they might have all kinds of reasons for doing that. And so I, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about that aspect of it. Then, as you say, the, the other the other element of it is the American aspect. Um, and, you know, I do think that, you know, broadly speaking, in the world that we see at the moment, America is still going to be an ally of ours. And, you know, I don't think that's fundamentally, that's, I don't no. think that's fundamentally going to change. But I do think that our relationship with America did change in the Trump era. I agree with you there. Um, and America seems less stable, less predictable than it ever was. And, of course, the, the concern might be that, you know, effectively we are sharing all our sensitive data with an American business. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you've got the Patriots Act, you know, which governs how, how, how um, it can, it American um, companies should deal with, with uh, companies abroad. And this is, these are the same people who refuses who refused, and Britain was included, to deal with America, to with China, or Huawei, because of the, the 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 Chinese have similar similar laws in terms of governing how Chinese company work companies work abroad. So this is very difficult. Now I know, but many people argue that's irrelevant. China, you can't bring China, and you'll look look at America. America is an ally. You say you say it's an ally. It's encrypted. So there's an element of, of mutual trust. But I would I would argue that America is its own people. <laughs> it looks after itself first, and I always look at it. It's always you know what was also expression. Station nations only have interests, and America is an extreme example of that in terms of looking to itself. I'm minded of um, when you know when you had that that uh, those WikiLeaks things, and they found out that that Merkel's phone was being tapped by the the Americans. Uh, apparently, Obama had to go and talk to her. Obama, also Obama could say, "Well, they're tapping my phone as well." <laughs> so you could argue, in some ways, there's a deep state in America. No, 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 not not a left wing deep deep state, as Trump people believe, but a well, right wing looking after itself. And 
and then then, then, I, then I suppose we, we're going round in circles because you could say, well, um, the the British security services when they send their encrypted data to the cloud when they're dealing with Amazon, they must be also taking into account the likely possibilities, mustn't they, of what could happen to the data, and presumably taking some kind of steps to make it as difficult as possible for anyone else to to to, to look well, into I'm, it I'm, and so on. Right, of course, they, they, it, it, it's encrypted, but. M- my concern is really is the is the software they use to analyze it, mm. you know, and, and much of that is also as American, you know, because they've got they've been developing long enough. We've lost those skills, you know. The, we used to have high tech companies in this in this country, you know. I used to work for them a long time ago. You know, Raycom, that that that, that several high tech companies, Plessis. These were big leading world beating companies. They've all gone now. We've sold them. That's what we do. We sell up, you know, it's the old joke, the capitalists will sell you the rope to hang him with. We sell these these companies we develop, we sell them abroad, principally to America. You know, we don't, we don't you, know, you know, the RAND organization, research and development, that's a government organization that gave us the internet, that developed the internet, that was developed by governments. You know, we're not doing the same here. We're, we're, we're the ultimate capitalist company, we leave it to the so-called free market. And this this here, putting our data on the... Um, on Amazon's AWS is the, just another example of how we make the free market. I just feel sorry, so I'll, I'll finish on this point. I just feel well uncomfortable with it. If the French can have their own network, why can't we? Well, at least all I can say is that your MI5 file has been upgraded, Michael, because up at the moment it's just a few scribbled notes on a desk. And now it's gonna now it's gonna go digital. If only, Phil, if only. Story number three this week is an extraordinary one. Uh, there was a guy lost in Colorado. He was uh, up, uh, going uh, hiking in a mountain called Mount Elbert. And um, it had gone past the point where he was supposed Five to have returned. People were worried about him. So that they contacted the authorities, you know, where's this guy? Where's he, where's he got to? Um, and the authorities started looking for him. And the first thing they did was they gave him a ring. Uh, on his mobile, just to ch- just to, to to check, there wasn't any confusion. Are you okay? But this guy, he he didn't answer the phone because he didn't recognise the number. Now his attitude would be like, never, never answer the phone. To you, never know. It could be PPI. It could be. What did he think it was, Michael? But he didn't know the rescue. He didn't know the rescuer's telephone number. Everything about this story strikes me as very bizarre. After about twenty four <laughs> twenty four hours, he found his way back to his car. Um, and seemed to think that nothing really had happened and had no idea anyone was looking for him. When I first read this story, I didn't believe it. Didn't believe it because you know, these, these five guys out in the night from 10 o'clock at night watch or three in the morning looking at this guy, couldn't find him, but he was calling him. They didn't, and he didn't answer. And, you know, did they think to leave a message? Did they think to send a text? You know, it just, it just doesn't see, it just doesn't. It, a text might have done the trick, mightn't it? Because he would have seen that regardless, wouldn't he? Exactly. This is the health. And then, you know, let me get, put my sensible hat on for a moment. For those of you going out into the country, you should leave a, a voice message telling them what you're doing. So we know if you don't answer at a particular time, you know. But then let me say the biggest thing, Phil, that may put a you know, question mark over this. How often have you been up, I mean, mountains, you're not, not a mountain person, but those of us who do go up into the mountains, there's no signal up there. Oh, yeah. There's no signal. So there's, there's so many little dings in this story that say, hmm, 
Um, mm. I mean, it's, we have to say it was reported in a reputable newspaper, The Guardian, you know, and they <laughs> they do claim that... They, they do claim this, yeah, but yeah. It, it, you do wonder whether it's one of these stories where there's a bit more to it than meets the eye. I mean, another thing that we discussed offline, Michael, which I think is worth raising, is surely if the... Um, you know, the people who'd alerted the authorities to the fact this guy was missing, I mean, they would be capable of phoning him as well, wouldn't they? And, <laughs> and he would have answered to them, wouldn't he? Because he would have known who they were. Exactly. Right? Well, the, the, the research, the research, the search people said, look, we'd have phoned them. We can't find them. You know, has, has, have you have you called him? Has he called him to you? You know, so did the more, did what we talk about this story, Phil, the more, I'm saying to myself, Really? Do we need to get this guy on the line, do you think, for a future edition of Find Me Eye and quiz him over what exactly I, went I, on on this say, mountain? Will he answer our, will he answer <laughs> our phone? Will he answer our call? It's, all, it's, it's, it's Michael and Phil from Five in the Army. We want to know. We send them a text message. No, yeah, Phil, of all the stories about in Five in the Army, this is the one with so many dings. It gets a uh-uh from me. But having said that, I'll go back to what I said earlier. If you are going out there and you're in the middle of the field, middle of nowhere, and you do get that phone call, answer it because you never know. Someone may think you're lost. Five in the eye. So number 72 this morning. <laughs> just said that just to annoy you, Phil. So number four this week is one I actually listened to live. It's the BBC. It's Nick Robinson interviewing. Well, you don't interview the big bluster himself, Johnson. Johnson was rabbiting, bantering, going on and on and on. And it just, it just, it got to the point where Nick said to him, stop talking, Prime Minister. <laughs> he was just streaming, as he does, as he does. And it's also very convincing in terms of making the point. It's quite obvious that we need to address these issues because they're quite important that the country needs to know that they take the hand. And on and on and on. Prime Minister, stop talking. And that stop talking, and apparently, Nadine Doris, the new culture secretary or that minister, is not happy with that. She's she she let it be known through the channels. What did he call this? A briefing. She didn't, she didn't say it herself to the press. She briefed her people briefed that this could cost the BBC millions. And that is just come on. Calm down. I mean, that is that is ridiculous kind <laughs> exactly. of blackmail, isn't it? I mean, you know, you really don't, you know, the the idea that um the BBC should feel threatened over its finances because of the way that one interview is conducted with the prime minister. I mean, really, that is that is shameful kind of stuff. Don't because don't, every government you know, complains about the, the BBC. I remember Blair and, and who was Blair's um, press secretary? Alistair Campbell. He was a thug. <laughs> he, was a, he was a brutal. Didn't take any prisoners. Where he beat people up. Well, no. I mean, on the, on the recent documentary about Blair and Brown, you were, we we were reminded, of course, of that. Um, it, it, um, famous episode where uh, the BBC reporter Andrew Gilligan um, said that they yeah. sexed up Sex, the dossier yeah. about mm. Iraq, and then Alistair Campbell went to war, didn't he? He, he, <laughs> exactly. he, he, he was having he was having none of it, um, and, and and so th- there's always there's there's always um, this relationship with, with with the BBC that's a little bit uncomfortable, but at the same time, you know, here this was a fairly straightforward interview situation. Nick Robinson, you know, he said himself afterwards, well, he wasn't he wasn't sure whether he'd gone a bit too far, um, but you know, respect is earned, isn't it? 
you have to say you have to say with people like Trump and Johnson, it's very very hard to treat them with the respect that the office should notionally deserve. Exactly, exactly, Phil. You know, we've moved on now. But I remember there's interviews back in the day in the fifties. Does the does the prime minister have anything to say to the British government? <laughs> Sorry, does the prime minister have anything anything to say to the British people? We don't say that, you know, because these these people are so devious now. Remember, he hadn't spoken to the to um, to today for two years. Mm-hmm. It's the first time Johnson had come on the program in two years, and, and they gave, they gave him more than enough time to wrap it on about oh, this and that, and you know, all the you know, the things he talked, you know, that nonsense, that that Johnson babble, you know, that you get. You know, so Nick did his best, mm. and in the end, he just got a bit fed up. <laughs> I mean, just... if Boris Johnson was out, was on our show, Michael, you would tell him about your two-minute rule, wouldn't you? Know that that, <laughs> that he can't go on for longer than two minutes. Exactly, not that's what Michael tells all our. That's what Michael tells all our guests. Exactly, it's not a lecture; it's a it's a discussion. We give each other room. You can speak now, Phil. Live in the eye. Well, I will speak by introducing story number five, which is about Brenda Morris of Worcestershire. And so um, she had a very special plan for her send-off when she departed. She wanted Darth Vader, accompanied by some stormtroopers, to uh, go with her funeral procession. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. If you look on the BBC website, you can you can see pictures of this. And apparently, eyes were certainly turned as the uh, as the the uh, escort from the Empire, the Star Wars Empire, um, uh, took took her towards her final resting place. And it got it got us thinking, didn't it, Michael, about you know people doing unusual things with their funerals now you know god forbid and all the rest of it and we know that you have at least sort of 25 30 years still to go michael but um have you got anything have you got anything special or unusual up your sleeve for that final departure i'll give this a lot of first let me be up front no flowers (laughs) i don't want granddad and dad none of that nonsense no nonsense um i just want to be you know yeah, I did give a lot of thought film. The only thing I'm, I've, I've put in my will, I want to be burned, well, incriminated, sorry, and thrown off the back of the Mersey Ferry. That's what they do. Respectfully, they actually can, you can have a very well organized. They stop, lower down the back, and then they throw you overboard. Well, not, not delaying the passengers getting to the Birkenhead, surely. <laughs> No, this is a, this is special. You have to hire these things. Oh, okay, okay. I thought you were. T- I thought you were talking about like <laughs> no, no, a, regu- a regular passenger trip. No, no. You, you, they take a long detour, and there's a bit of a ceremony when they do it. So come on, no. This is definitely. I want to be thrown overboard in the Mersey. <laughs> that's you know where I come from, Timmy Young. Because that, that that that's you know you can say to boy out of Liverpool, but you can't take Liverpool out the boy. That's nice. Am I talking properly? You know what I mean? Like so that so that would be my bit. So those people who wanted to walk on my grave. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they'd have a hard, they'd be hard pushed unless they were good swimmers. Is what they better saying. get swimming now. So, so that's me, Phil. That's me. You know, thrown overboard on a Mersey ferry. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I suppose for me it would have to be the Thames, having grown up in London. Uh, the um, Thames. Would, would, I'm going to say, would you be above Tower Bridge or below Tower Bridge? <laughs> no, you're probably a Richmond Bridge. Actually. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, ju- just as we. Just as we get down to the uh, the non-tidal bit of the Thames, I would say is probably where I would I, I would need to be washed away. Uh, just a just a quiet little a quiet little ceremony. Um, Five thousand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, 5, certainly, no, certainly no, certainly no more than ten. The planet. 
certainly no more than ten thousand because it, you know that it's quite a quiet it's quite a quiet stretch of the river. Uh, we wouldn't want to create too much emotion. I actually saw at Teddington um, last um, earlier this year when when the whale got. Did you remember there was a whale no, that, that got beached? Sad, yeah, 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 that was that was a, that sad, was a yeah. sad thing. Yeah. Um, and um, he he reached his final resting place just down on the water there. And you know, you could imagine maybe that could be me in years to come. And I, I hope again, like I, I've got a few years, a few years left, um, but there won't be any stormtroopers. I don't think. You don't reckon? Okay, I've got to ask you, Phil. What what, what music will they play as they toss you overboard? <laughs> well, what about Sharp Dressed Man by ZZ Top or something like that? You know, com- com- you com- commemorate my sartorial elegance, Michael. What do you think? <laughs> I, you know, I still haven't decided yet on mine. This is, this is I know this is terrible. So time is running out literally. So I took it, make your mind up quick. You know, I want you know, do I do um. I don't know, Thomas, that sounds terrible. For a man of your age, you should have one ready. (laughs) Good to go. Good to go, you know, but no. I've got some glib expressions. I told him I was ill. That's it, there you come. There's a song called I Told Him I Was Ill. I don't know. Anyway, Michael, we're, we're talking about, I, I think, 2050, something like that. You'll be 100 oh, then. <laughs> Thank you for that, Phil. You tell my doctor that. Tell my doctor that. Five in the eye. Well, we got to the end of another show, and they haven't buried us yet, Michael. We hope you've enjoyed episode 0329 of Five in the Eye, and will join us again next week for another look at the stories that are making the headlines. If you want to keep in touch, touch if you want to keep in touch, in the meantime, our Facebook page is there for you. It's the place to do it. We'll be posting up links there to the stories we're considering for the next episode. Until then, this is me, Michael Ohajuru, saying, if you have been, thanks for listening. And this is Phil Woodford reminding you to keep an eye on the news as you never know what we'll be discussing on next week's Five in the Eye. Goodbye. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?